Tance. How do you pronounce your name? Tance, Tance? That's it. Yeah, Tance. Uh, serial entrepreneur. Tell me about that. So it sounds like you're involved in quite a few different things. Real estate, e-com. Um, give us a rundown on everything, Tance, and what you're up to. Yeah, you know, I started my business when I was 17, actually. Started in uh, screen printing, you know, apparel, um, business signage, some other stuff like that. And uh, it's the company I still run today, own and operate today, which is uh, Southern Designs. We own a number of direct-to-consumer brands. We have three of those right now that we focus on. Metal Unlimited, Cut Maps, and Carter in Maine. We make basically anything in home decor and kind of personalized gifts. Um, and then on the side, I dabble in some real estate here locally where I live in Louisiana and um, actually own a... Uh, one franchise location of a, of a regional coffee chain. So it's just a fun project. Yeah. For me. Um, Starbucks or what, what is the, uh, so it's called PJ's coffee of new Orleans. They have about 120 locations here in the Southeast uh, United States. So yeah. So I do a few different things. Yeah. Involved in many different things. Yeah. Sounds yeah. like, um, which is good. Diversity is always, always king when it comes to revenue streams. Um, Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about the e-com side of things. So you mentioned you have three brands. Um, talk to us a little bit about each of the brands, kind of what what all, a little more besides their home decor. I'm familiar with one of them, which is the steel. Um, I've actually seen some of those ads, I think. So be good to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing and kind of um, how those have grown over the, 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 the trend of time, I guess. Yeah, so... Uh, like I said, we actually started in screen printing apparel and uh, my brother got involved in the business about six years in and uh, was going to start doing some welding and fabricating metal products like gates and fences and just what have you. And um, so as he got his equipment, I said, hey, you know, I want you to cut some of these personalized flat metal signs that I'm going to try to sell on the Internet. You know, I'd been dabbling in, in e-commerce a little bit with my apparel back. This is about 2013, 2014. And uh, I said, hey, look, you know, I want to launch a brand and sell these metal signs on, on the Internet. I don't really see anybody doing this at a large scale. I think it's kind of a wide open opportunity. And so, um, so yeah, you know, we did a we did a launch and, and launched metalunlimited.com in 2014. Um, and, you know, that kind of got our, our momentum going in e-commerce. Um, and then in 2019, I actually acquired a brand called Cut Maps. It's really cool. Um, it's got these decorative city maps. I wish I had one on me right now. Uh, I don't see one on my shelf here, but cutmaps.com. They're really neat, detailed, high quality stainless steel maps of different cities and states and things like that. We also have some wood wood maps. And then uh, I also started a peel and stick wallpaper brand uh, at carterandmain.com. So, you know, everything is still kind of related to printing and laser cutting, laser engraving. We use a lot of the same technologies across multiple brands kind of trying to utilize uh, economies of scale, um, but with some different, you know, kind of focused uh, product lines. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, we've just been focused on scaling all three of these brands. Um, Metal Unlimited is our, our flagship brand. It's it's our largest one, but the other two are, are coming along nicely as well. What is something like like uh, Metal Unlimited? What does that do in terms of like, uh, especially it'd be interesting to know, because I know obviously a lot of people are suffering with COVID-14, COVID-19. COVID <laughs> <laughs> that's a new one that's coming um, yeah, um 
what is how has the monthly revenue shifted and changed? Because obviously last year, you know, we saw huge spikes. I'm sure you guys reaped the rewards. But as kind of iOS 14 has settled in post COVID 19, um, we're kind of seeing a lot of brands, you know, pull back their spends and stuff. So how is how is that kind of looking for your biggest brand? How has that impacted in terms of revenue and spend and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So, I mean, won't lie. It has impacted our revenue. I, I would say things are coming back down to earth. Um, you know, we're definitely up over 2019 by a good bit. Um, but 2020 was just, you know, an anomaly for us. Um, you know, I think people up until maybe now have really been heavily traveling, especially this summer. Um, you know, they missed vacations last year and things like that. So we, we feel like a buyer intent is just really low right now with our products and, you know, maybe other people are seeing success with it, but with what we have right now, it's just, you know, buyer intent has been a little bit lower. So it's been a little bit tougher, um, getting conversions lately. Um, and then of course with the, you know, whole iOS 14 situation that's added a new kind of, uh, kink in the, you know, uh, prospecting funnel uh, for new customers. Um, but yeah, I mean, we had an incredible 2020. I mean, just, we grew a ton. We doubled last year, um, uh, more than doubled actually. And, uh, so, yeah. So, I mean, like I said, things are kind of starting to level back off for this year, for sure. Um, if, but when was like, say like if you guys were spending like we'll say January, February, March, pre COVID um, or pre iOS, dang, yeah. pre iOS, you know, you're spending hundred K. How has that spend transitioned post iOS? Like where has that leveled off in terms of percentages for you guys? Cause I'm seeing it with a lot of clients and just a lot of people, you know, we had people spending hundred K a day, 10 K a day. Yeah. You know, and they've had to cut spend significantly just because the the ROAS just isn't there. Um, and it Absolutely. all comes post iOS. So talk to us a little bit about that and, and a little more, much details you want to go into. I don't know what you want to give in terms of numbers, but then yeah. also what you guys are doing, kind of um, how you've combated that the best and kind of what you've seen in terms of strategies or tactics working to help kind of um, bring you back down, you know try to get you back up off of the earth <laughs> yeah uh, i would say right now we're probably spending about half of what we were um previously spending on facebook um and, and our google spend has come down too because i think those things kind of correlate google's more high intent um as opposed to on prospecting so those things kind of correlate a little bit um but yeah facebook spends probably cut in half um for a little while it was even more than half but we've kind of come back up a little bit um, but we've also been, you know, focusing on different channels in general. Um, we're like a lot of other people studying TikTok and trying to, you know, figure out opportunities potentially there. Um, we, you know, we've, we've bounced around with Pinterest some as well. Um, we, we've been working with Pinterest for a few years, but that one's been a little bit challenging for us as well. Um, but yeah, like I said, with Facebook, it's just, it's been cut in half. So you know, we're looking at affiliate, more affiliate marketing and um, trying to do some partnerships with other brands, um, you know, shared, you know, them promote us in their email promotions and vice versa. We're trying to kind of dig into some of that as well and just get creative and diversify our, our, um, our media spend, which we should be doing anyways. So this has maybe kind of helped force that. Yeah, for sure. What um, you guys do in terms of like TikTok, are you guys seeing any success? With so we tested it back earlier this year, back in January and February with minimal success. Um, we are, we're, we're working with one of the reps right now. We've just gotten a, a, another account set up 
And uh, we've got somebody kind of helping, helping guide us through that. I mean, I think you really need to understand that platform to understand how to advertise there because it's very different than Facebook as, as you guys know. Um, so we're really, you know, kind of studying that and making sure that we put our best foot forward. Um, so I would say very limited spend on there. We don't have tons of data. I mean, costs are definitely a lot cheaper. Uh, we just need to make sure that we are still spending the money wisely. Yep. And closing the sales. That's a big and you need to, you need to learn the TikTok dances and then start doing ads with your dances. I'm so horrible at dancing. I'm so lame. I, I wish, I wish I was a good dancer, you know? <laughs> you get maybe luke, you got some film stuff maybe you should send him a few yeah, yeah. I, I can do that we'll let luke do it yeah. hey uh, i will tim has a question from the group um he asked what kind of roas are people getting who run your, your pod offers so i don't um i don't have that data yet our our, our internal demand app is pretty new um we launched that the first of april and we haven't really collected that data yet so i apologize for not having it um we are noticing though, they've gotta be getting a pretty good ROAS because we've got uh, pretty high margins on these products. Um, so they have plenty of room to work with on their, on their prospecting. Hmm. Interesting. And how does that, so the, how did that, that's where, that's the My Decor, what is it? Uh, name yes, it? My Easy Monogram. Uh, it's a Shopify app where we offer our metal decor products um, in a, in a, that you can load into your, your Shopify store and offer personalized, you know, signs and things like that to your customers on your Shopify store. And uh, that's, like I said, that's, that's really new for us, but we realize that we're not necessarily the best marketers in the world. Like <laughs> one of the things we were talking about earlier is like, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been in AdLeaks for a couple of years now, but I don't really uh, comment a lot because I still feel like there are so many better marketers than me or my team out there. And so I'm just thinking of, you know, how to leverage the power of all these great marketers that are out there who may not want to get into manufacturing like I do with all the equipment and shipping and logistics and all that, but who are incredible marketers. Um, so that's, that's why we've gotten into that space. And, uh, and it's been fun to see what other people can do with it, for sure. How many machines do you guys run, like the laser cut machines? Yeah, so we have five uh, lasers. They're, they're pretty large machines. They're like 35 feet long and you know, take up 15 feet wide. They're, they're in a big, you know, we have a pretty big facility um, and we have five of those. And so we have lots of capacity. Sweet. And basically the way that the app works is I put it on my Shopify store and does it automatically send you the order data then once in a yeah, while? Every, yep. Everything's automated and it bills the uh, merchant uh, two times a day. So usually I think it's 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Any orders you got in that time will bill you automatically for it. All the data comes over. It's it's pretty seamless. It's a pretty easy, you know, situation because we're trying to take personalization at scale, which it can be difficult in a, you know, in a manufacturing environment. It's not just drop shipping, taking something off of a shelf and shipping it to a customer. We have to make it after they've ordered it, you know, mm -hmm. same thing as any print on demand. Um, so we're trying to take that at scale and allow customers to have the ultimate control over their products and make it unique while still maintaining a, a fast turnaround and fast shipping time. How has your um, steel prices affected everything? Because I know steel is way up. So have you raised steel products? Yeah, steel is triple what it was this time last year. So it's pretty, pretty tough. Uh, we actually just instituted our first price increase this year um, across the board to essentially just cover the, the increase of costs. Um, we aren't really making any more money or we're definitely not. 
Um, yeah. We're really just trying to kind of cover that increase because we're hoping that it'll, based on the futures, hopefully the material is going to come down within the next year, year and a half. But I mean, man, who knows? And what is the price increase on something like, let's say a hundred dollar product? Like what, did you have a straight flat percentage across the market? Uh, yeah, we, we increased our base prices about 10%. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah, a jungle out there, man. It's just, I had another call with somebody today that's just, they, you know, literally going to have to close their doors. They just can't, can't make it work. You know, it's crazy. Costs man, are it's, off. It's, it's tough for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. And tell, and then you had the, the steel looking things. I'm looking at those. Those actually look pretty cool. Um, that's used on the same machine when you're cutting those, the steel maps. Um, so, so we laser cut some of that and we actually have some other, um, uh, manufacturing equipment that we've just landed to manufacture some of the smaller items in a different manner. Um, and so we've got some actually somewhat proprietary, uh, processes that we're utilizing uh for that as well uh but yeah we we do laser cut you know some of that as well we we edge we print you know different medias different manufacturing processes but all the same equipment that we would use for metal metal unlimited and metal decor you know products do you list crossless products seems like i would seems like it'd be a one-store deal rather than a two like with uh, steel maps yeah, well, we, we do cross-promote them sometimes. Um, when I, I bought Cutmaps, the brand, um, so I didn't want to just fold it into what I had. It kind of had its own following and own branding, and I think it's a cool little brand. You know, so we've kind of let it go, but we, we do um, we do cross-promote it as well, um, and we're going to be bringing it to the, uh, the print-on-demand app as well so that uh, sellers can promote maps and things as well. We're, we're going to be offering them the ability to create custom maps and offer that to their customers as well. Mm -hmm. How did you get into this? Like, how does, you know, <laughs> I mean, when you talk, I know those machines are super expensive and, you know, obviously there's gotta be some good cash flow to be able to buy. Cause I'm, I'm sure those machines are 300, 200,000, 300,000. So, the, uh, yeah, the laser cutters uh, that we use are about 625 a piece. Um, so they're, yeah, they're pretty dang exp expensive. So it's a pretty capital intense business. Um, mm -hmm. And then we have a powder coating uh, system. You know, those are 300,000 or whatever, you know, so it's, it's, it's a good amount uh, for sure. But when we started, we actually started with uh, plasma cutters and they're not as good quality as laser, but, you know, we started there, those machines may be 20, 25,000. So we just started with one of those. And then we started adding, you know, more of those as we grew and I think we had four of those when we bought our first laser and that one laser took all that volume on one machine and we got rid of the plasma just because the, the, the quality wasn't as good. Um, but it, it got us started, you know? So, I mean, it worked. And then we sell, just, you just sell those plasma. Like, what do you do? Like, I mean, who do you, cause those plasma, um, those are the water, honest, machines, right? Or is that the one with the water that, or is that how the um, no, this is a plasma torch. Um, the, oh. it's, it's not water. It's not a water jet. Um, but uh, it's, we, we gave them away when we were done. Essentially, we, I think we sold one, but we basically gave them away. I mean, we had run them pretty dang hard. Um, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, just constantly running them. And they were pretty ragged when we, uh, when we upgraded the laser. So I, I actually had a couple of friends that I gave one each to, and the, you know, they kind of used it for some hobby stuff or just little, little things here and there. 
I mean, they, they had minimal value. We had warm out. <laughs> wow. And that was all started when you were how old? 17? Yeah. Well, yeah, the company was, you know, I started the company when I was 17. So, so we started metal when I was 24 in, in 2014. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, I, I wouldn't even know how one would, I wanted to start cutting metal. Like I, I mean, I wouldn't even know how to, did you have a background? Like, how do you, how do you? Yeah. Make... So with my printing business, I made, you know, apparel, I made um, vinyl stickers and mm-hmm. business signs and things like that. And something that was becoming pretty popular were these monogram stickers and um, monogrammed apparel with, you know, your first initial, your middle initial and your last initial and, ladies love these items they love to personalize and so um i saw all of that and i'd seen metal signs and things as, as seth my brother seth was getting into the metal fab yep. and i said man I, I think people would like to get these signs with their their names on them you know and and i had been selling personalized uh, monogram apparel on the internet before that through facebook ads that's where i cut my teeth in facebook ads um and so i said i, I really think you know we could we could offer this in in with the metal. Um, so he had the equipment and I just kind of had the idea and experience from apparel and just brought it over to another, you know, product media. Yep. And Luke was saying something about, so when I was talking to Luke prior to this, see a little more, you know, after doing a little research, uh, Luke, you were mentioning, um, relationships, really good at leveraging sourcing product sourcing, things of that nature. Tance, is that something that you, you were, uh, into? You do, which is now, can you hear me, Tance? Yeah. Sounds oh, like what were you asking yeah. specifically? So, go ahead. Um, just see if you like managing relationships of, of sourcing things like overseas or anything like that, or is everything in the U.S.? Yeah. So, um, for us, pretty much everything is U.S. All of our steel we buy here in the U.S. Um, the maps uh, we were buying those the, the metal pieces uh, from China. And so we invested in the equipment to be able to manufacture them here in the U.S. And it was, I mean, cost is always something to think about, but for us, it was more about turnaround time. Um, It takes a while to get things from China. And so uh, we wanted to be able to manufacture it in-house so that we could turn it quickly and have more of a just-in-time inventory as opposed to buying something and having to wait four to six weeks on it. Um, That just, that doesn't really work. And then as you guys know, with Facebook ads, you know, you go and, and people place an order and then, you know, your quality rankings and things like that go down because it takes so long. Like say you sold a bunch real quick, obviously you can tr- control the inventory in the back end with Shopify, but still that just limits your, there's an opportunity cost there. And so we wanted to, to bring that in house and we consider ourselves to be very good at manufacturing even more so than, like than marketing. Like we consider ourselves to be really good manufacturers. So we really thought that we could take that in house and kind of, um, uh, kind of up our game there. So we source most of the raw tier materials here in the U.S. Um, we only have, I think, one or two components of anything in all of our product lines that comes uh, from China. That's like a clock mechanism. We have this little metal clock that you can order and just the clock mechanism with, with the hands comes from China, I, I think. And other than that, everything's pretty much American. Um, and, you know, you can use the made in America marketing angle as well that a lot of people like. So we try to leverage that when we can too. Um, but it's definitely important to have multiple sources for every, you know, material and, and type of component, uh, because you never know when, you know, one might run out and especially with supply chains right now, it's becoming very challenging. So we've been, 
trying to grow our list of uh, suppliers so that we don't get caught with our pants down if one of them's out of something. I know I would talk to, um, oh, what's the name of that base other steel company? Um, I don't know. I can't remember his name. I said it earlier. Uh, the buff guy used to be on Muslim Fitness. Oh, another steel company yeah what's the other one are oh, you talking about redline probably yeah redline right. steel yeah so i remember talking to him he always had said something about like they had automated the designs like they weren't having they were using a software or something like that for customization work or do you yep. literally have to have like because you do custom art right so are you yep. having a designer create uh each file with the software or have you automated that process yeah, so when we started, we had multiple graphic designers on file, typing out every single name and resizing every piece. But today, everything's automated in the back end. Uh, we have software that handles all of that for us. Um, and so, uh, as soon as the order comes in, that you know, we have a, we actually have a fairly proprietary system for that as well. That automates design, and uh, that makes life a lot easier for sure. Because, I mean, at one point, I think we had six individuals doing nothing but uh, file preparation. And uh, today we have two graphic designers on staff and they don't, they don't do that. They do custom, you know, if we get a custom request or we want to come out with a new product, a new SKU, things like that. Like if I wanted you to make this ad league sign in the background, you'd have to have that. Custom. <laughs> yeah. 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 That would be, that would be custom. But I mean, even then, you know, we've, we've processed so many, it's pretty quick and easy now, but uh, once we set it up, once we can automate personalization with that, hmm. with no problem. Yeah. which is a big, you know, that's a big piece of the print on demand aspect as well is being able to automate all that in the back end to keep the calls low for the merchants. Sure. Sure. And you guys do, we got two questions. Go ahead. Um, first one's from Michael Smallbach. I think that's how you say your name. Um, how do you handle customer service for, for print on demand Shopify store owners versus how you handle metal limited uh, direct customers? Um, yeah. So he said, yeah, go ahead. I was just saying my, my direct consumer brands, I have a customer service team for all of that. Uh, the print on demand is still pretty new, but I have uh, one dedicated individual that manages all of that. And then actually myself and my business partner on the app there, uh, we help out and pitch in on the weekends and evenings. If we see a message come through, you know, because it's still pretty small, we have a few hundred merchants on there. And it's growing um, for sure, but it's still small enough where we just kind of have a few of us helping with that until it scales enough for us to build out a, a larger customer service team with it. Hmm, Got it. So the, the print on demand store owners don't handle their own direct customer service. They do. Well, no, they, they, they handle their customer service for sure. I'm, I'm, I'm referencing us uh, servicing the merchants, but most of, I mean, most of the data is automated into their Shopify store. So they, they get updated tracking automatically. Um, they've got, they, they've got pretty good visibility into the, the platform. Um, so there's not a ton of customers. I mean, the bulk of customer service is people saying, hey, where's my order? When's it going to ship out? When, you know, do you have tracking yet? I mean, that's like 70% yeah. of it. So, you know, it's basically, hey, here's the turnaround time and, you know, which is three to five business days. And then of course, or, or here's your tracking info, but there's, there's not a ton of customer service to be had with it. Um, at least not yet. It's been pretty smooth because we turn it out so quick. Hmm. Are you guys marketing the app at all? We're not. It's uh, well, not really. We're not doing any paid traffic. Um, we've 
worked with a couple of, um, I guess you would say influencers or affiliates who have helped promote it a little bit. And then we've reached out to some people, but it's, it's all been word of mouth so far. There's been no paid traffic behind it. Cool. Uh, Damien DeFrank has a question. What challenges are you having with machine maintenance stateside um, for laser machines operating in China in the 500,000 plus range? Um, the production factory that makes the machines usually sends a tech out bi-weekly or monthly as issues arise. Um, how hard do you find getting qualified worker support where you are to diagnose and repair your machine? Yeah, so uh, issues arise. Yeah, we work with um, a couple of very reputable companies who have, they actually, uh, our machines are made in Japan mostly, um, but the company that we buy from, they have a base in Japan, they have a base two bases here in the US, they have one in Europe. So they're global and they have techs all over the world, all over the US. And so I think uh, for us, we pretty much call them and we have somebody within Monday of the following week, whichever day it is, they usually fly them out on a, on a Sunday evening or Monday. Uh, we have no issues with that, but that goes into buying equipment from an established reputable company and not trying to cheap out and buying some, you know, cheap Chinese machine that doesn't have a company behind it. Um, we spend a little bit more money and pay for the service and uh, quality. Uh, so, so no issues with, with tech support or, or maintenance. Mm. I've learned my lessons there. That's, I've been burned before trying to cheap out and buy a cheaper machine. It's just, you know, the saying you get what you pay for is very true in most cases. <laughs> you guys, excuse me. Oh, yeah. Are you guys outsourcing your marketing? Like, do you no, handle everything? Uh, email, SMS, Facebook, Google? <laughs> yeah, pretty much everything's in-house. Um, we, we have a little bit of assistance um, at times. We've got, a, we've got an agency that we do a little bit with. Okay. Um, and then um, I've got a consultant as well that I, that I chat with just to have outside opinions. I think that's very valuable. But yeah. we've, got a, we've got a small team in-house. We do our own media buying and email and SMS and uh most of our own content creation, we're, we're, we're testing out working, getting some, some video and photo from some other creators just to get a different perspective and kind of get outside of our own box here. Um, but yeah, the, the bulk of it's in-house. I feel like most print-on-demand stores um, would struggle. So if I'm, a, I'm new, I want to start a POD store, right? It's obviously, especially in this day and age, it would be hard I feel like it would be hard to do that, but I'm definitely nowhere near any type of POD expert. How does, with all of the things that you've done and you've learned, like, what do you think was your, what was your biggest mistake and what advice could you give somebody that's looking to start, especially now in today's day and age with where we are at, you know, in this ecosystem of ads. In reference to print on demand specifically. Yeah. Or like steel, like, you know, if they wanted to use your app, you know, like basically almost like drop shipping they're becoming a drop shipper essentially at that point so loosely yeah um so it's definitely more challenging than it used to be um i think brand building is way way important now you, you know consumers are less easily fooled by the throw up a you know cheap store real quick drop some items on it run a facebook ad and make a ton of money that just that's just not working like it used to which i'm glad to see um uh but it can be done, um, but it definitely takes a savvy marketer and somebody who's got a real, you know, like I said, building a brand, but like a niche, a type of focus, and you're not just trying to sell anything to everybody. Um, 
but somebody who really focuses on a niche seems to work really well. Um, you know, like for us, we've seen some of our sellers um, who have success selling to like a pet market, like they build a store around pet lovers or even a specific type of pet, like if it's dogs, obviously, or a type of dog even. I mean, there's still such large markets out there that you can go after. Um, you know, family focused kind of gift stores work really well. Um, we've seen people, you know, focus on things like um, certain occupations, uh, you know, the, the, the uh, like police and military thing is really big. So you'll see. Uh, niches and focuses. And I think that's where you can win in a uh, drop shipping or print on demand kind of environment. Hmm. Okay. So you're thinking like we're just more, you know, niching out, niching out and obviously the brand building, like what, what do you think segments that like how does one portray their brand to that level of where it needs to be based on consumer behavior because i agree with you like even now you could even have a legit business but uh and i've even seen it with some you know bigger bigger companies that have a ton of money but they don't actually do say the organic social posting side and you know they're a reputable brand but they're just not putting content out there or putting you know they've never posted on facebook but they may have 10 million dollars in the bank but they don't have their social game figured out so new customer comes in to their cycle they start you know searching about them go to their facebook or their instagram there's literally four posts in a year um what do you yeah. think in terms of how one portrays their brand to that level not only with just the amount of content you're putting out and the quality but what are some other things that you feel like really segments that from those other people that aren't doing that that see tremendous success yeah, I mean, you know, you still need to understand that audience as well. And so posting, obviously, you know, posting content that is relevant to to that audience is, is key. I mean, we're seeing that, you know, a lot of UGC is what's working right now. Um, posting things that that audience can relate to that look real and authentic and not, you know, photoshopped or just thrown up quickly. Um, so a, a lot of UGC and just posting content that isn't definitely not salesy, um, that's just more speaks to the audience. And, um, you know, going for the sale kind of when it makes sense. Um, but, you know, I'll also say I've, you know, specifically, I've never started more of a, you know, a POD store myself. I have that direct to consumer brand that I manufacture as well for. Um, so I'm still learning some of this as well myself. I'm definitely not completely the expert on, on that piece. But what I see the people who are succeeding um, with our app doing is they have a niche they're posting content that is organic and relevant to that audience. It's very authentic. It aligns with the customer. They know how to speak to that customer. Um, like when I talk about occupations, like if it's a, a police occupation, something, you know, uh, they're very proud of that blue line symbol or that their job is in a, as a dangerous occupation. And so when you give them terminology and, and signs and things that reflect that, it just creates that emotional connection. And that's when you start, you know, th that emotional connection combined with UGC, where they see that other people are doing this or using this product. I mean, that's what, that's where I'm seeing people win. I, I hope I'm answering your question correctly. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree. Like the very first, every, the stuff that I learned most of what I, you know, a lot of what I know from when I first got started, I think back in like 2008 or 2009, it was always like when you're writing your content, and this was even back then, um, it's becoming more, I think, important now as consumer behavior has gotten smarter, but it was always, 
you know, you need to write your ads in terms of, you know, like, let's say talking about blue line, I'm actually a reserve officer. I do the police reserves here, um, nice. you know, talking to the spouse of, you know, and kind of what they, you know, running ads to a woman, talking to them, like yeah. how they deal with their husband going out on duty, not knowing if they're going to go home, kind of creating that, you know, is kind of, I think one of the big things that that segments any good marketer, not just, you know, a print on demand marketer, but the kind of marketer that can write that content in a way to speak to them and really trigger, like what you said, trigger that emotion and like kind of stem it up from down um, deep, down deep and bring it up to the surface. Um, I think really, really makes a difference in terms of what you can drive for CPAs and that, that kind of thing. So, nope. Great Absolutely. I've been told that for 14 years now. <laughs> so true. But you have to be good at writing, you know. I used to copywriting. I hated it. Copywriting, I literally get. I remember when, um, and I, I know my partner on the agency said she would remember this too because when I used to work with her. But I would literally just be sitting there writing, and I would send it to him, and he'd be like, "What are you? You know, are you stupid? This is spelled like I used to struggle so bad with copywriting, spelling, grammatical errors, and and I still struggle. It's something I actually had to like physically actively work on." But doing that made me such a better, such a better marketer um, to be able to write that. So it just takes a lot of practice. Yeah, that's you need so more practice. Kind of, Adlik Spalt has a copywriting course in it. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I truly believe that. So um, one of the things we're trying to kind of grow with our peel and stick wallpaper brand is doing a lot more content uh, marketing with listicles you know, just short, short articles, um, nothing too big. And so I've got a few people I said, look, just start writing, just go out there, take, it doesn't have to be a lot to it. Just go out there and, and find the top five reasons why somebody would, you know, use peel and stick wallpaper in their home office or, you know, top five reasons why they might want this color of the year in their home decor, their decorating uh, strategy or whatever it may be, but just get out there and just do it. Like you said, like, Yep. step into the fire, get some practice in, you know, and then, and then you start to kind of pick up a little bit on it. And so that's what we've been doing a lot with, with our team is just kind of going out there and just doing it, even if it never gets published, it's, and, and so now I'm, I'm cause we're doing this right now. So we're actively seeing them start to come back and say, Hey, um, I'm feeling more comfortable with this now. And I went and compared my art, my article or my listicle to, um, one on BuzzFeed or whatever website and I, and I saw how they did it and I, I see how I could have tweaked mine and made it better or improved it. And so um, I totally subscribe to that theory of just kind of jumping in there and doing it. I, I love to, I love to wing it. <laughs> and I remember like I would sit there and literally the right one added and it could take me 45 minutes, you know? And yeah. It literally would it's take part of it. Though. Yeah. I mean, sure. And then when you got to sit there and write 50 Google ads, you know, because you have 25 ad groups and you can take quite a while <laughs> but if you are big into content one thing that's really working good for people right now is there's um i don't know if you've heard of conversion.ai um yeah i've seen it I, I don't know much about it but I've, I've seen it yeah definitely check it out it's super legit it's the real deal um okay it kind of basically you put stuff in there and then machine machine you know jarvis will rewrite some of it and it's actually a really really good way to put a spin on your content um it's been working really really well for us so and it's just less money you have to do because you can put one idea in there and it'll spit out 10 um yeah i'll have to try that yep it's super cheap too i think i just got billed for it it was 
something like 99 bucks or something just depends on the level plan you go but it's definitely worth testing yeah um luke any more questions from the group no no more questions hopefully we answered them all guys yeah i mean it's definitely it's an interesting and you guys are where's your warehouse located so we're in louisiana okay cool yeah i mean it definitely would be something it would be interesting to see that whole um that whole ecosystem of how that works because i mean it's like going from nothing to learning how to you know run this machine to doing custom artwork on a laser uh when you, I mean, is there some guy that comes in and trains you how to use this laser? Like, you know, like. I wish, um, I, you know, at the end of the day in, in the manufacturing world, in most cases, the, the technicians who might install the machine or stand it up, they will, in a sense, teach you how to turn it on and use it. But the bulk of them don't actually have the real world experience. And so, you know, the, oh, here's how you turn it on. Here's how you load a file. And I say, okay, well, what about putting in this type of material? Or what if we want to do this or this? And it's kind of like, well, you know, we've got, you can call the help desk and they'll help you with that. And I was like, okay. So, I mean, they can get you in there and get it going. But in the in most cases, you know, we have to just kind of get in there, like once again, and just kind of try some stuff ourselves, um, which is sad to say, but it, it's the truth. But, you know, honestly, we've learned a lot about what we know about manufacturing from YouTube. Mm. I mean, you know, we've, we've gone to some courses and um, trainings and things like that. And um, actually our, our laser manufacturer, they do have a, a, you know, a training course you can go to at their facility in Chicago for like two or three days and, and get some more hands-on training with the, with them. But in general, we just, Oh, let's figure out how to do this. Okay. Let's, you know, get on YouTube or let's go in the Facebook group, like, you know, with athletes for advertising, let's, let's go in the group uh, that we have for laser operators and see what other people wow. are doing. Really? So that like, yeah. okay. How many new products do you guys roll out? Like, like, obviously I would think part of being successful is new product launches. Um, so honestly, we're really poor at product launches. We should do a lot better than we do. Um, it's something that we are working a lot on this year to increase. Um, sometimes we get a little lazy with our best sellers and kind of ride them for too long. And we are really trying to do better at, you know, rolling out new products and new variations and versions of existing winners um to to try to to try to keep the line fresh um but the good thing with what we do is that it's personalized and it's unique every time anyways so you know a lot of times people are buying our items to give as gifts so for them it's in a sense new every time but it's i don't know it's we don't have to refresh the line as much as i think uh maybe some kind of standard decor item is because it's that same thing over and over. Right. What are your top like five products? Basically they're all um, monogram signs that have, you know, somebody's name on it, maybe an, an initial in the background, a large initial, and then the name across it in a circle or kind of square decorative format that people can hang on their front door or on the wall in their living room or on their patio or something like that. Um, that's, pretty much the, the, the big seller, you know, and then we get into, you know, some more specific, uh, holiday or our interest or hobby occupation signs and things that do. Okay. Uh, but the volume is just in those kind of generic monogram signs that are, you can personalize with your name or home address or something. Have you ever looked into like anything with like licensing, like with Marvel or Spider-Man or done any research on that and kind of 
I'm we, sure that's hard to get into, but yeah, we dabbled in collegiate licensing, uh, college football or college sports, but kind of college football specifically. And we did okay with it. We gave it up because it's very hard. It's so much red tape. Um, it's very hard to maneuver that system and be profitable. And also um, the big schools. So, so in that world, in the college world, every school has their final say, as opposed to it being kind of like a blanket, like pro sports league license, which you get an NFL license, you get all the teams. In college, every school has their own kind of authority. And so some might just turn you down for whatever reason. So, like so a, then you like just call one guy at the NCAA and say, hey, I want to license this for how does that work? You got to outreach to every school. Um, some schools run their own licensing programs. And then there are a few large licensing uh, firms, CLC, or I think they've changed their name now and, and a few others who manage it for schools. But it's a extremely convoluted and fragmented system that is very frustrating to navigate mm -hmm. and they all have different royalty rates and different rules and like I said what if I you know applied for a you know SEC um, college football license for all the schools there but you know six of them told me yes and six of them told me no well how am I supposed to go market like you know broadly how am I supposed to go market that if I've got one school but I don't have the other one and yeah, it just became a mess, and so we we gave it up because if we can't get them all, we just don't want any of them at this point. What does something like that cost? Like even for like the NFL, if you wanted to go get the license for the NFL, what's the? Um, I believe uh, hundred thousand just to basically get in, and then you pay whatever their royalty rate is. I, I don't know what it is. Probably ten, twelve percent, something like that. Like percentage of the sale or something. Yeah, and then you have to tag it with their hologram sticker and, you know, you have to have your materials tested by labs to make sure you're not doing anything like, you know, poisonous or with lead in it or something like that. So there's a lot of testing and regulations around the product materials and the, and the quality. And um, then like with California, there will be a separate set of rules for California compared to the rest of the country so you just there's a lot of that you stuff to navigate regardless of who who you're licensing it with whether it was college or nfl or whatever um so it's still it's still a lot of work but we just we didn't dive off into that uh makes sense you should test that and, sign luke made behind him i bet that's not gonna pass absolutely <laughs> not all died. yeah <laughs> yeah that's been interesting i I mean, is there anybody that is there anybody in the steel line of business that does anything like that? I don't know. That yeah, there, there's a couple of people doing it. Um, not in the, uh, not in not competing with what I do direct to consumer. It's some different stuff, pretty much. Um, and they really just go to trade shows and kind of wholesale to retailers, like a outdoor store or a, you know some kind of sporting goods store or something like that. That's that's more how that world kind of works. Um, so it's still a little different, but yeah, there's, there's a few of them doing it. I know there's a guy, uh, Dan, Dan Nike, Nike, he's over in Australia. We interviewed him a while back. He has like a leggings and he has a license with Marvel. And I know that he had said that that crushes for him. Um, yeah. You know, we've looked at more of licensing with um, brands and more of the, I guess, home decor or, styling world now um especially now that we're in like wallpaper and stuff so something like hgtv related or 
something of that nature is more what we've looked at if we were to ever get back into licensing. And then uh, what about influencer stuff? Have you done any of that with marketing? So honestly, we suck at influencer marketing. I wish we were a lot better at it. And so I'm definitely looking for some help with influencer marketing if anybody wants to you know, hit me up after this because um, our wallpaper brand is the strongest brand for influencer marketing. We have a lot of people who contact us and we've worked with some people previously. We've, we've gotten some good publicity with it um, with some major national you know, uh, media uh, publications and things. But with my metal decor, I haven't figured, honestly, just haven't figured out how to make it work. Um, I don't feel like I'm a well-connected guy. Um, so I don't, you know, have people I can just call up on that. So I'm trying to do better at networking and getting in with people who might can help me with that. Yeah, that's one thing that we don't really have. I, I was just um, talking to an agency. I was trying to find a really good partner for us on the influencer side, but it's hard. It's such a, it's such a hard market and I haven't found anybody that is really, a, you know, like a go-to, like this guy crushes as an influencer. That's all they do. Yeah. And it's been a struggle even for us to find somebody that we could even, you know, recommend. Um, I had a couple meetings a few weeks ago with some people and it's hard, definitely difficult. It's, it's a very fragmented space still as well. Very you high. see a lot of people trying to create, yeah, trying to create platforms to bring people together. I mean, you see a lot of that right now, but there's no kind of um, kind of rule of thumb to go by yeah. th that I've seen. But like I said, I'm not an expert on it, but I just, I don't, it's very. If you have the money to play, there. like there's some good, like grin is a really good one, you know, but you're talking, it's very expensive, like 30, 40, 50, 60,000 just to get access to the software. Then you got to pay influencers. And so, I mean, if you're working with, Hey, I got, you know, hundreds of thousands, yeah, we could point you in the right direction, but for the average smaller brand that has four or five, you know, I mean, it's one of those things where it's somewhat difficult to get number one to make it measurable. Cause that's the big thing for me is how do we make this measurable? Um, you know, so you can do coupon codes or things of that nature, but it's, it's one of those things where, and I guess probably the, the one guy I was talking to somebody that went to, uh, I don't know if you know, Josh, no, I think I don't I don't even think that's his real name. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, his last name is name or something like that. What is Alishti it? or something. Yeah, Alishti yeah. or, like or something. I know like one guy went to his one of his private masterminds or whatever, and he actually um I'll have to get it, but there was something that he does that's really, really cheap to get. Cause you know, he cry. I mean, if you see him, he gets all the top level. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. he actually released part of that the way he does that. And I forgot how he does it. I'm not, I'm not going to say the guy's name or the girl's name, but I'll call them after this because it was a very, a very specific way. And it was like, you could get huge influencers for like at a 10th of the cost of what they would charge for an influencer post through this other third party channel thing or something like that. But I can't remember. Yeah, I, I forgot about it. So now I'm gonna have to they've, they've killed it with snow with influencer marketing. They're one of the success stories. Uh, with influencer marketing, but you know, I was, um, I was actually at affiliate summit in New York uh, a couple weeks ago and he spoke uh, at one of the sessions and, you know, he made the comment though, even at one point they had worked with this large influencer and spent tens of thousands of dollars and all this going and 
the campaign generated like 700 bucks in revenue or something like oh, that. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, it's, you still got to be careful with it. It's, you know, doesn't mean it's always going to work just because somebody has tons of followers. I mean, the, the big thing in influencer right now is, is really is like micro influencers, you know, so, once again, with brand building, getting with influencers who really have a strong connection to their base, whether that's 2000 people or 200,000 people, you know, quality over quantity. And, and that's what, we've been watching with influencer and trying to figure out how to harness that was my yeah. he was getting he was getting macro for micro prices and he gave the strategy mm. on how he did it and it was through a software and i'm going to look up the name of it so if anybody's interested hit me up probably in the next hour and i'll have it but it was it was the way he was doing it was pretty smart and he was getting like you know somebody that like the influencers he has for the prices of micro influencers nice but i also know that some of those influencers he does stuff with like they own percentages of his brand he doesn't own his whole brand um, yeah but i'll have to get more info on that because now i forgot my brain's only so big <laughs> it'll hate it so much well man i appreciate the time it was very uh very good it's um eye-opening to me it's a whole new world that i have no, know nothing about so um yeah pretty good. i appreciate it. it i'm always excited to talk about manufacturing you know and and um and now the print-on-demand space um as well um you know it's it's a little corner that i'm in that i would you know i feel like i know more about that than i do marketing so i'm in ad leaks to learn about marketing and mm -hmm. and see what all you pros are, are saying so so if you're uh, but it's good to talk about it yeah, so like with your metal and limited stuff right now, if you said you had five machines. Yeah, we have, we have five lasers that cut the steel. So how much like like how many orders, like how many orders right now like post COVID are you guys fulfilling today just on like the metal and limited side? Like what does your volume look like since scale has cut down? Yeah, I mean it, it just depends. Um, it can be anywhere from you know a couple hundred to a thousand. It just depends on what's going on. I mean our capacity is you know we can turn out generally about 3000 orders a day or so. Um, and in Q4, we, we, you know, we definitely max that out. We run 24 seven trying to push them out. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, it, it just depends. Um, holidays like Mother's Day or July 4th or um, something like that, we could sell thousands in one day. And oh. then, you know, you might have some slow days where it's just a couple hundred, um, but we're in that range. Are you a seasonal help then? Like, do you hire seasonal help or do you have to lay people off? Yeah. Slow down. No, Q4, we probably add 20 to 30 seasonal staff on top of our existing staff to accommodate the uh, increase in volume. And how many staff does it take to do something like that? If you're putting out 3,000 metal orders a day, like 10? Um, no, no, no. Well, I mean, so our company, we have 40, we fluctuate between 40 and 50 full time. And so we'll add 20 to 30 during the holidays. So we'll be at 70, you know, 75 wow. uh, during Q4. Yeah. That's crazy. Good for you, man. You ever done any Sometimes. Uh, B2B? Is it, or is it all, is it all B2C? Um, no, we do a little bit of uh, kind of like wholesale or it's still kind of a dropship model in many ways, but B2B, I mean, uh, you know, we sell in the past, we've sold to Walmart to TJ Maxx. Um, we're actually onboarding with Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's right now to sell the, to be the metal decor supplier on their website. Um, so hopefully that's going to be going live here very soon. Mm. And we partner up with some other brands. We're talking with uh, a few good ones right now, actually, uh, Franklin Mint, 
um, right now, which I think is uh, one of um, Sean's brands or he's involved with that. And so we've got, a, you know, we've got uh, Franklin Mint. Um, they're in the, the uh, Rev portfolio there um, oh. with Pier 1 and all that. Yep. Um, what brand is that, did you say? Isn't, um, I think uh, Sean is Sean? involved with that group. Yep. Like Sean Brown from AdLeaks or a different? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Yep. Hmm. Um, is it the one that really, sells like a bunch of different stuff? Like coins? Uh, coins and collectibles and stuff like that. Yep. Yeah. So it's with that Rev, that, that group that they have. And, um, and so, um, which I haven't chatted with them about that or anything, but they've, they're actually wanting to sell our maps. Um, they have a lot of maps and, and, you know, us geographic products and things like that. And so that's why they're interested in that. So, yeah, I mean, we work with retailers and things like that as well. And then we have corporations that'll reach out for bulk orders. And so like we're working with Virgin right now on some, some cool stuff for their uh, cruise lines. And uh, we've worked with some large corporations for awards and things where they just come in and order like, you know, thousands of them at once. Yep. Um, and we get those every now and then we don't, we don't push hard for that. Um, we work with a lot of hotels for like uh, we've worked with them for like room art, uh, guest room art, stuff like that. So that's cool. That's, uh, that's a good space to be in too, I suppose. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, all right, man. Well, yeah, I appreciate it. I don't have any other questions that come to mind. My brain just goes and then something comes in. It's like, poof, there it is. So. Well, you Not got problem. four kids, so he's get two. He can only use so much capacity. Don't even yeah. give a story. <laughs> I saw you. Had, I appreciate you guys. I saw you had a wife and kid back there in the background. How many kids do you have? Yeah, I've got two. I've got a three-year-old and a three-month-old, or she's four months old now. I think actually, yeah. yeah. Uh, tomorrow, tomorrow is four months. So, um, so yeah. So I've got two kids, and I think I'm done at two. I don't think I can go for four, or <laughs> however many it is you have. It's it's a lot. Cast my wife will castrate me, so <laughs> it's fun. It's fun, but it's, she it's hasn't already done that. She's trying. <laughs> I refuse. <laughs> That's awesome. all right man i appreciate it uh yeah appreciate guys. good chat um learned a lot so i uh am no metal expert by any means so yeah well i appreciate you guys having me and uh glad to be a part of the group glad i could come on and kind of get some face time with everybody here and i'll try to be a little more involved in the comments and posts and stuff like that <laughs> yeah oh no problem man i appreciate start it start filming videos there you go <laughs> see you later guys, right, guys. see y'all yep.